Well, welcome. I'm really grateful for your time. If you're joining us today, we have a very special two guests today that I'm really excited about sharing. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to thank so many of you for subscribing, for liking, for watching, for sharing. This week, I was able to hit 1,000 subscribers. And in the YouTube world, that's a big deal. And so I just want to thank you literally without you. I could not have done it. And so I'm very, very grateful. Please continue to like, share, and subscribe to the channel. And the ministry is growing. Thank you so much. And I want to welcome our guests today, Janice and Melissa Abuelio. They both serve as evangelists and women's ministry leader in the Columbia, Missouri, in the Columbia Church of Christ. They have been married for nine years and have two children. Their angel baby, Naomi, and Ruth, who is two years old. They have been in the ministry for 11 years. They have had the honor of serving in campus, young professionals, and leading two churches in the Heartland region. They're both incredibly passionate about raising up leaders, building family, and seeing the gospel spread. Melissa also works part-time as a licensed professional counselor and specializes in depression, anxiety, marriage communication, sexual addiction, and sex therapy. Janice, Melissa, welcome to the channel. Thanks, Kyle. Hey, Kyle. Good to be yeah. here. Brother. And our, our listeners don't know this, but we have been trying to get this interview set up for some yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's been patient. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate yeah. you guys. You guys, you guys are so needed. I literally, I don't think I've interviewed anyone below 50 years wow. old. So uh, you guys are very, very needed. Well, let's let's jump into this. Tell us a little bit about your conversion and why you went into the ministry slash counseling. Sure. Do you want, you want to start? Sure. Yeah, I started coming to church uh, when my best friend's parents became disciples as a freshman in high school. And I grew up in a challenging family situation. It was just running from my house to their house a ton. And they would bring me to church. And at the time, I didn't believe in God. And I just remember seeing like, people study the Bible, come to church, study the Bible, become Christians, and just kind of watching people transform before my eyes. And I thought to myself, I think at that time, like, gosh, like there must be a God if somebody can be this way and then this way. And wanted to start studying the Bible. I think I was like maybe 16 at that point. And uh, my, at the church in Worcester, where I was baptized, Worcester, Massachusetts, they asked my family if I could study the Bible and they were like not about it. They did not want me to study the Bible. And so um, for those next two years, uh, the disciples there were like, okay, you can't study the Bible, but you can read your Bible and you can pray and you can live your life like a disciple. And so I'm really grateful for that, even though at the time it was really hard. I didn't understand why God wouldn't let me get baptized. Um, I feel like it really did help me to fall in love with God and make my relationship with God not about salvation, but about he and I. And uh, so, yeah, I lived my disciple, lived my life like a disciple for about a year and a half. And then my dad finally said, you know what, you're going to do this anyways. You're about to turn 18. Just do it. So I studied the Bible really fast and got baptized in 2006. So, yeah, that was my story. Amazing. Yeah, her, her story is pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, mine's, uh, so I was met at uh, the University of Missouri campus um, in 2005, the fall of 2005. And uh, my campus minister a guy named Lawrence Willis met me playing basketball at the rec center mm -hmm. and invited me to church. And, uh, yeah, I think it was church it was the first time. And, and just from there, I, I, I grew up going to church, um, not in our fellowship of churches, thought I was a Christian. And, uh, man, right. As soon as I saw the kingdom, 
I knew something was different. Mm-hmm. I could see in, in the way that the guys in the campus ministry lived their lives that uh, there was a disconnect with me and God just because they were regular guys um, who, you know, they, they shared their, 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 their own sin with me and they took away all the excuses, you know, that, you know, I couldn't actually really follow Jesus when these guys were, you know, had their own things they were wrestling with and they were taking those excuses. And so um, studied the Bible um, that spring and became a Christian uh, about three months later. So I started studying in January and became a Christian March 13, 2006. And uh, that experience of being invested in um, by, by so many men um, affirming me, believing in me, um, accepting my weaknesses and yet challenging me to, to grow past them and becoming better because of Jesus and, and knowing that I could be because of the Holy Spirit. Um, I just felt super indebted to God. I felt indebted to the ministry. And so mm-hmm. uh, I didn't know if I was ever going to be a minister, but um, so my, that was my freshman year was when I became a Christian. But by my junior year, I started thinking, man, if I could, if I could do this for a living, if I could give back to someone, if, if there was another Janice Abelio out there that needed a big brother the way I had so many now, um, that would be a very cool thing to do if I could. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what birthed the vision in me. And then next thing you know, we're, we're, we're here. So, yeah, that's a little bit of our story. So why go into counseling? Mm, good question. Uh, for me personally, I grew up in a lot of, with a, with a family with a lot of mental health issues. And so I think initially I was drawn to the field because I just wanted to help people. I just wanted to help people to be able to heal in ways that my, I didn't feel like my family got the opportunity to, or didn't know really about. And so um, I think that initially moved me. And it's interesting because I wanted to, after I got baptized, I wanted to go into the ministry and I ended up getting into a program after I went into the ministry that paid for all of my schooling for my master's. And I remember thinking like, you know what, I could just do ministry if I wanted to, I don't have to do this. But I thought to myself, gosh, I get this opportunity to go to school for free so that I can be more equipped essentially to help the kingdom. And so I actually started doing therapy classes in school with no intention of being licensed. Um, My heart was like, I just want to be a better minister. Um, And then you know, God, with the help of Vince Hawkins, convinced me actually to uh, get licensed. And so I ended up pursuing that. I'm grateful I did. I, I don't, I would not look back and, and go back in that way. But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of how it happened in a nutshell. Well, it's funny because you guys are like already in your plan B mode, be, not plan B, but in a way, a lot of ministers, when they get out, I like have figured it. I think it's like insurance, real estate <laughs> and, and being like counselors. So like you're already like, not that you're getting out of the ministry, but I'm just saying, no, yeah. it's yep. funny. It's yeah, man. I got when my- I first, it's funny. I wanted to go into the ministry. I was like a campus ministry student. I'll never forget Richard Dixon and I, we were getting coffee <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think I want to go in the ministry. And he's like, what about, you know, you should think about counseling. Wow. And I was just like, now, if, if that mm. were a conversation would be, we would be trying to get people going to ministry because we need people going to ministry so badly sure. uh, as opposed to how it used to be. So it's just interesting. And I'm really glad like you that I went the counseling route as well. So mm-hmm. it's a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I feel really blessed that I get to do both right now. It feels really special. So feel grateful. Very cool. Okay. So 
you know, part of why I'm having you guys on today is because in our age group, we are starting families or have started them or still trying to figure it out. Sure. And I think there is a tender need and also a consideration to have for people because when we start our families or we start trying to to think about that, we don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. We don't know how it's going to go. Yep. And the process can become tri- quite traumatic. Mm-hmm. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey towards becoming parents? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, maybe I can start looking sure. that in. So, yeah. So for us, we weren't trying. We were uh, leading the church in Springfield. I was, this was back in 2016. And we actually had a had crafted a whole Excel sheet to get out of debt. That was our that was our baby. Uh, was that, <laughs> that was that was our labor. Was to get out of, uh, our student baby. loans. Yeah, we were like, forget these student loans, you know. And so, um, so that we started 2016. That was like our whole like mission. And then we got pregnant, and uh, we were excited. And so you know, we did the whole, you know, it seems like a rite of passage now. You do the ultrasounds and you find out the gender we had the gender reveal party invited the church to it um you know everyone's pretty excited and i believe uh, i think it was about 29 weeks we found out well, we had one last ultrasound before things got really towards the, the end of the pregnancy and I, I mean i remember getting a phone call or my wife got a phone call i came back home and uh, our, our midwife said you know we need to go to the doctors because things weren't looking right. And um, so we went to the doctors, which was totally different because we were going the midwife route um, for everything up to that point. <laughs> and um, yeah, we, we got sat down in this dark room, had another ultrasound and I'll never forget our doctor. Well, that was who, who, who had become our doctor at that point. And maybe there might've been three other, I don't know, just other clinicians that he was training came in and, and uh, just said that, yeah, you know, this, this baby is probably not going to live past um, even, even being in utero. And um, what was the, what I remember described was a form of dwarfism, you know, and, and uh, we later figured out the name of the condition she had specifically. Um, it was skeletal dysplasia which is a form of dwarfism at the time they weren't sure what it was because, you know, um, she was still, you know, in, in the womb and everything. But I mean, that, that, that was, you know, as you said, Kyle, these things can be traumatic. I mean, that was the most traumatic thing we've ever gone through. And um, mm-hmm. so from there, it was just a matter of, you know, is she going to live? Is mm-hmm. she, is she going to pull through, but is she going to have a, a myriad of health conditions that we now have to consider? Is our, is our lifestyle going to have to change? You know, we were, um, leading a church, right, in Springfield at the time. So what does this mean for that and our future? So there was about a, was it a month period? Mm-hmm. A month, about a, a month between that time. And we just didn't know if she was going to, how much longer she was going to live. And, um, but we did end up having to, Melissa did end up starting to labor uh, at about 32 weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, we ended up in an airplane a tiny little single engine airplane wow. from Springfield. Yes. Yeah, from Springfield to St. Louis to Barnes Jewish hospital in St. Louis, because that was the plan. If, if, if she ended up going in labor, we already knew we were going to either going to be in a helicopter or in a tiny plane. And um, yeah, we, she started giving labor at like four in the morning and it was storming and, 
you know, we had this tiny plane and it was shaking. I, I was like, man, we may not make it to the airport, to, to the other hospital. So this, this could be, you know, whatever at this point, but uh, we did. And, and um, at that point we got there right away. It seemed like right away the doctors were able to look at her. And, and from there, they just said, Hey, there's really nothing we can do. Um, after kind of looking more at your case, um, the best thing we can do is just kind of try to take care of her as best as you can and give her comfort, you know, just comfort, you know, the baby when, when she gives birth. Um, and so at that point, that was actually pretty relieving because we didn't feel like we had to you know, have, a, have any wrestling with God as far as how much to intervene. Uh, we didn't want her to suffer in any way. And so, but she labored for about, felt like a day. And then Ruth, uh, not Ruth, uh, Naomi was born um, about a day later. And she lived for about 15 minutes, uh, got to hold her. We both got to hold her. Um, I think she probably passed at some point while I was holding her. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that was, that was the beginning of our journey to parenthood. Um, so yeah, obviously the most challenging thing we ever had to go through, mm -hmm. um, the grief process after that, I mean, it's its own separate thing as, as so many folks well know, but, um, that was the initial trauma, mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if there's anything you want to add. Yeah, I mean, I think when she was born, we were we were pretty devastated. I mean, it was really hard. We got to stay with her for the day and just love on her and say goodbye. And it was so hard. And I think we both wrestled so much with God about why we even got pregnant to begin with mm. and all of these things. We had to, we were kind of in this whirlwind. We had so many people though come visit us from the church. Yeah. Like so mm -hmm. people drove like hours to come be with us afterwards and, and, and during just felt grateful yeah. and during yeah, yeah that that time and so um felt really thankful for that and we waited about a year uh just to heal we just kind of made that decision like you know it's just pray and wait and focus on healing my body and also just our hearts from everything that happened and uh, we actually discovered and thank the lord we were at barnes jewish hospital because they actually found out why our daughter died and mm -hmm. specifically what she had like he said and we actually learned that we were actually recessive carriers of that condition wow. which meant, yeah which basically meant that if we got pregnant again naturally that we'd have a 25 percent chance of that happening to another baby mm -hmm. So it really put us in a conundrum because mm -hmm. we felt like, gosh, you know, now we just really don't feel like we can get pregnant naturally and uh, without feeling like we're putting ourselves at risk for this to happen again. And so we started uh, an IVF journey a year after that. Janice is am amazing because he ended up going to work at Starbucks part-time while he was working for the ministry um, because Starbucks actually pays for IVF. Uh, we learned that. And so he worked part-time, got up at six in the morning, you know, making coffee across from his alma mater. <laughs> uh, so really, I felt like just so thankful that he was humble enough to go and do that for a family, um, for the chance that maybe we could have more children. And uh, we did end up doing one round of IVF, it actually didn't work the first time. So that was devastating. We were like, God, are we ever gonna have children? Like, why does this have to be so hard for us? And yeah. uh, we were really discouraged. And then we did another We did another round of IVF and we got pregnant with Ruth. Uh, and nine months later got to meet her. And I'll never forget hearing her cry or, or you know, Naomi, when she was born, we didn't get to hear her cry because her lungs, you know, mm. didn't have the capacity to do that. And so she cried, we cried when she came out just to like hear her cry, you know? Um, and in some ways I'm grateful that Naomi never cried because 
you know, she went from her father's hands to God's hands mm. and never knew pain, never knew tears because um, she's in heaven. But but yeah, it was just uh, beautiful to be able to go through that and for that to be redeeming. And mm-hmm. just recently, we actually had another loss. Actually, we had a miscarriage about four or five months ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we went through another round of IVF and I had gotten pregnant and we were really excited uh, and the embryo ended up splitting. So we were going to have twins and we were really excited. And so um, I lost the baby pretty, pretty babies pretty early on in the process. So we've definitely had a rocky journey in parenthood and um, we're planning on trying to try again one more time we have one more embryo left um but definitely our journey to parenthood has not been uh an easy one so yeah you guys are mighty and courageous i just look at how god it's interesting how when we go no everyone wants to see a miracle but nobody wants to be one (laughs) and i feel like you guys you guys are a miracle and there's a lot of people who are going through what you guys have been through and i wonder like because before we can be used we do have to go through some healing what has your journey of healing looked like where have there been some some real like therapy or group or like in any of that type of stuff mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. yeah um so for me um we both did initially when it happened it might we might have waited a couple months I mean, healing, I think, started right away. We just, you know, being a disciple in the kingdom, I mean, you just have people surrounding you, mm-hmm. especially from a loss like that. And so even our families, like our families flew in. My family's from Anchorage, Alaska. We immigrated there from the Philippines when I was seven. So mm-hmm. they made that cross-country flight. Her parents made the cross-country flight from Massachusetts. Um, and they just, you know, took care of us. And then we, you know, we stayed at Mr. Robin Hawkins house um, for a little bit in Columbia because, you know, they, they raised us up in the ministry. Mm-hmm. And then we stayed at uh, another, you know, couple's house here in Columbia, the Job's um, who were super important to us. And mm-hmm. so it was, for, for, I think we stayed, we were away for like a, a couple weeks. We just took some time just mm-hmm. to get away. And um, so the healing, I, I would say even started from that, just people being there for us, listening, mm-hmm. Um, but on a more proactive level, as far as just grieving, we did participate in, uh, it was called grief share. And it was at one of the local, one of the bigger local churches in the Springfield area. And so actually there was some other disciples in Springfield at the time that were going through some losses. And so we all, there was like six or seven of us going at a time and we all lost different people at different stages of our lives. And, but we all went together. I, I think it was about three or four months. Mm-hmm. We all went and it was like mostly like older folk in there except us and we were all like in our 20s and um so it was it was healing i think going through it with other disciples um but also just just having that you know just that group that support group there in springfield was good for a few Mm -hmm. months um Mm -hmm. i read a book called grieve like a man i believe the 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 author's name is jonathan finn that was very instrumental to just helping me process things and um take things to God. And then I actually just started therapy recently. Um, I actually only did done one session, just been a little bit crazy trying to stay consistent with it. Um, so that's more just, you know, trying to work on myself in the time that's elapsed, but, um, did a few, you know, I, I read the grief recovery handbook. So more of my stuff has been just kind of talking with other brothers, processing, um, just talking through how I feel and, and, and reading some books. 
Um, but Melissa's been, I, I would say, more proactive. Uh, if you want to share. Yeah, I think you know, uh, you know when we found out that our daughter was sick, we had a long drive from Springfield to Indiana to take to go to a wedding. And on that drive, we actually listened to a podcast. It was at the Reach actual conference, and the uh, Lambs, Roger and uh, his wife, did a did a did a lesson there on grief. And one of the things they shared on that was that you know there's a difference between grief and mourning. You know, grief is something we do inside; mourning is something we do with others. And how when Jesus, you know, is speaking at at the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he says like, you know, those who mourn will be comforted. And so. Mm-hmm. I think Janice and I were very intentional very early on in like bringing other people into this place in our hearts that were mourning. Like we let them cry with us. We let them be with us. Uh, We talked through it with them, shared the details of our hearts, not with everybody, but we were intentional to bring people in. And I I really do believe that that's how you get comfort. You know, that, that, that scripture is (laughs) true. We find Mm -hmm. comfort in mourning uh, amongst others. And so I think that was something we did early on. And that really helped me. Um, I read through the book of Job a few times, um, just trying to understand God's heart around pain and suffering and read a few other books on suffering and trying to understand God's heart. I think it was just really important for me to understand, like, who is God in the midst of this? Like, Mm. they're like, I don't know who he is anymore. Like, I don't know how to make sense of this world that I live in now and who he is in the process of that. And so I just tried to like immerse myself in like trying to learn like who God is amongst suffering and we did go to uh, actually a support group. Like I said, grief, sh- he shed grief share. And then um, I actually did walk through the grief recovery process with uh, a grief recovery specialist and wrote letters to God, wrote letters to the doctors, wrote letters to all these different people and tried to really be present with my emotions in that. And I really feel like that helped me so much. I really don't know where I would have been going to get pregnant again had I not walked through that um just because getting pregnant again is so triggering of this grief of this trauma that I had been through and so so thankful uh just that I got to do that and then I got to do it with a disciple uh who I felt like helped me to also grieve my loss of trust in God mm-hmm. I think that was a big thing I had to grieve too that I had to like restore my trust in God yeah after that so mm-hmm. can I add on to that Kyle brother um, please yeah so I think what she shared I think the the most crucial part of what she shared was we, 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 we mourned. We didn't just grieve, right? We mourned and we, we allowed the family of believers to really be engaged in our grief. So we, man, we cried a ton mm-hmm. with so many different people. I remember, you know, being at a barbecue place with one of the families with their kids there, um, two, two of the married couples in Springfield. We just like all cried at this barbecue restaurant, you know, <laughs> after church on Sunday with their, you know, at the time they were preteens. And so, but I think us being ministers has, it kind of forced us to make things public, you know, like you don't want to draw attention to yourself, but you know, I'm preaching every Sunday and I, I couldn't lie to my congregation. Like, Hey, here's, you guys know what I'm going through. There's a reason why I haven't been here the past couple of weeks and why I've, you know, why we've had to do what we had to do. And so it really did force us to I think, experience mourning biblically as opposed mm-hmm. to trying to make it some private thing. And I think mm-hmm. there's times it has to be private and there's times you have to go to God and meditate and, and just, you know, have some solitude, right. With you and God. But mm-hmm. uh, I think I definitely want to stress that there was a, a balance with us that we did spend ample time with God. Um, 
you know, I'll never forget the, the Alexanders who were on staff in St. Louis at the time. They hooked us up with, you know, just they used some of their hotel points. And we got to stay in Kansas City for a few days just to get away. And mm-hmm. just, it's just us and God and it's just, just us we went on some dates. And it was awesome. But then, you know, we really, I think part of that was, man, Jason knew what we were going through. We were, we were open with, with him and Justine and we were open with so many people. And so many people were praying for us and cried for us and told us they cried. We didn't see them cry, but they told us they, they wept. And, and so all those things, I think, allowed us to really process things in a way that maybe God would want us to. And um, nothing, I don't think we left the situation jaded or our faith was, you know, damaged um, in a way. I think it forced us to ask questions of God, but I think those are the healthy questions that every disciple needs to ask at some point anyway. So, um, so yeah, I just want to make sure to share that. I love it, guys. Thank you so much for, for just being like, I feel like you guys are very transparent about what your process looked like. And that process could look different for everyone. Yeah. But you, what you just shared is action guiding for mm-hmm. a lot of people, because a lot of the listeners that I have, uh, they they want some practicals, right? We can't overly be, we can't be too pragmatic. Right? I think some people right. who struggle to mature in their faith, they, they look for practicals and everything. But yeah. in this case, you guys truly, I think, embody the process, you know, the process mm-hmm. is the shortcut. <laughs> And yeah. so I feel like you guys and Melissa specifically with you, I, I think, I mean, you kind of remind me of my wife a little bit. She's very thorough in her program. <laughs> I think she does very, there's a, you know, a thoroughness to what you did. I, I love it. And yeah. let me just say this. I, I think like grief and trauma are like they're cousins, they are. but they are, they're difficult. And I feel like you guys, um, you guys embody like, the resilience that it takes, you know, healthy people risk. And so there's a resilience, almost like a resilience quotient that you look at when people go through stuff, is this going to break them? Or is this going to build them? Yeah. Um, but for you guys to risk again, I think really speaks to God's spirit. Because mm-hmm. I mean, some people would just say, Okay, I got to call it, I, I got to cut my losses, whatever. But you guys are like, let's do it again. And so I just think there's a special resilience there that I respect and I, I love it. And I, again, everyone wants to see a miracle, but nobody wants to be one. And I feel like you guys are those people who are like, all right, we'll be the miracle. <laughs> and I just, I think it's amazing. Cause the, you know, it, it just takes a lot to get up sometimes for, for the risk. Definitely. So I appreciate your faith. What do you, what do you guys, this is, this is key. Um, what are some considerations people should have in terms of being aware of people who are trying to have kids or start their family, like things people might say, maybe without thinking, or just in terms of like being there for people, like there's a lot of little, I wouldn't say a code, but in a way there's kind of this situational awareness that. Mm-hmm. While some of us have an easier time getting pregnant, others of us don't, that I think there is the church, we have to be aware of that. So what, what could you guys share about that? Yeah. Um, so I think for me, what was helpful as far as my interactions with um, other Christians was I, the, the interactions that were most helpful. Honestly, people just came up to me and, and, and said, hey, I'm, I'm praying. And um the things that seem cliche, I mean, I think it just kind of has to happen to start off some kind of dialogue, like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, or I, I don't even remember what verbatim uh, the brothers would say, but honestly, they kind of just had to put themselves out there 
and and say something to me, you know, because I think the temptation is, especially with loss or or trying, if if some you know if, if disciples know that this this couple may be trying and they maybe they have a hard time, maybe the temptation would be to pull away. Um, so I I wish I could say like what this brother that brother said specifically, but what I do remember is that they they did engage, and um, and it wasn't it definitely wasn't a sense of like they were trying to give me an answer for my situation. The spirit of every engagement that I found a ton of encouragement in was this guy just wanted to be my friend. They wanted to be there. They want to listen and uh, let's, let's go eat and let's just, you know, if you want to talk, you can talk. If not, you don't have to say anything. Um, But yeah, I mean, guys would, asked me to pray guys would share scriptures with me and it would it wouldn't it wouldn't even be a teaching thing but hey I, I just want to share a scripture with you that that helped me you know and I know you're going through something that is is way different and, and very traumatic but you know I just was on my heart to share a scripture with you and so we had those kind of um those interactions and uh those are the ones that were most helpful but I think because for me honestly I just appreciated that guys were trying to be there and I don't know if that's how it is for everyone but um, I think I just felt loved that um, there were there were men in my life who, and I, knowing their character too, that, that you know they they could risk, you know maybe saying something dumb or or not helpful, but they really did try to put themselves out there and, and uh, just love me. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that helps or not, but that that was for me the the you know the big thing was just guys were trying and putting themselves out there. Mm. So that's good. Yeah, I think as far as considerations for people who are, you know, trying to be aware is, gosh, I think it's important just to ask the people that are, you know, in your circle that are struggling maybe to have children or or wanting to have kids, just like how they, you can support them. I think sometimes we think about what we want (laughs) and like what would encourage us, right? And we assume that other people are going to get encouragement from that we assume that they're going to feel loved by that and that's not always the case I I think sometimes you know the answer might be I don't know what I need right um and that's okay but I think sometimes people know at least what they don't want like you could say what do you not want me to do what do you not want me to say (laughs) what will be helpful you know um the other thing is just to really be mindful on Mother's Day and Father's Day to check Mm. in on them to say hey like how are you doing how are you feeling um And then I think the other thing is just to have faith for them. I think sometimes it's really hard to believe that God has a plan for you mm-hmm. when you're in such a dark place or you've had loss or you're trying, you're trying and nothing's happening. Um, just to have faith for you. I had a sister that she was like, you know what, Melissa, like, I'm going to pray. I want to go on a prayer walk with you every week. We're just going to pray about this until it happens. Wow. And she would write me cards and she put in there like all the prayers that she was praying for me. Um, and then, you know, I just had people that were like, God remembers you, Melissa. He's not going to forget, like, just like Hannah, like he remembers you. And just like, who reminded me that God wanted this for me. Um, and it's hard. Like God doesn't promise us children. We're not entitled to children. Um, but I, I definitely feel like they believed that God wanted something for me and like helped me to push uh, through in moments where I felt like it was really hard. So I don't think that's everybody. That's why you need to ask (laughs) what you need, what is going to be helpful. What do you not want me to say? Uh, have I said anything that's hurtful? Um, because you know, sometimes people don't want to tell you that they're, they're scared to say what's painful. They're scared Mm -hmm. to say what's hurtful, but if you Mm -hmm. who are not hurting can ask, it might help them. Well, 
you just asked a really, I mean, you just pointed out something that's important because I think that people remember the insensitive things and it gets etched yeah. into their memory. And then they characterize people off of those moments and they never confront, like, let's, mm -hmm. let's come full circle and let's mm -hmm. talk about how I heard this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, intentions don't sanitize impact, right? We can't say, well, this is what I meant to say. And then that sanitized the emotion. But sure. Sure. I think, I think you're right. I mean, that's kind of conflict res a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. just that idea of, of, of being engaged. And um, I really want to kind of transition into trauma a little bit, a little bit more of a focus on that. And both of you have experiences, obviously, Melissa, you're a clinician, but Janice, you um, leading a ministry, I think it's important that we talk about trauma. I, I recently did a, a blog, it was, a, I think, part three for Tim Summerlin, and Tim Summerlin is very gifted when it comes to grief. And one of the things that is a function of grief is, is trauma. And so trauma can, we can get stuck in lament. Yep. Right. And so, you know, trauma is one of those things to where if our listeners, my listeners have heard a lot, me talk about trauma when, you know, our brain wants to create a beginning, middle and an end to everything that mm -hmm. we experience. And what trauma does is it, it prevents us from creating that resolution. And so we're stuck in the beginning and the middle. And it could be the loss of a child, it could be a stillbirth, it could be infertility, it could be whatever it is, but people get stuck in the beginning and the middle, and then they miss developmental milestones. And later we have to go back and we have to do developmental repair. Yeah, it's difficult sure. when you've got tons of people who become Christians and just thought by merely getting baptized that that trauma would also be washed away. <laughs> and so we know that this is a process, not an event, but I want to start with this idea of trauma. I remember maybe a year, it's probably over a year ago, I saw a, a talk that you did on trauma, Melissa, mm -hmm. in your practice, and you were really skillful. And I even used something that you had mentioned in there about how we have to timestamp mm -hmm. the experience. I, I use that now in my practice, mm -hmm. by the way. I That's use awesome. that idea of timestamp, and I really like that. Mm -hmm. But can you just tell us briefly a little bit about how you approach trauma in, in, in terms of as a clinician? Yeah. Oof, it's a big question. Um, yeah, well, I think about the idea of like how God designed us like with a whole brain. And, you know, I, I think about my, my stance is really attachment based. Like I believe healing happens in the context of relationship and that truly pain is the most painful when we're alone in it. Mm -hmm. Right. I think about, you know, uh, the most, uh, what is it? The, the worst treatment that you can get in jail right or in prison is solitary confinement why is that the worst thing because you're alone mm -hmm. in the dark by yourself and I, I really do believe that it's important that when I'm working with trauma and I'm navigating trauma that the brain recognizes you know attachment and connection and that it can truly rewire itself when we enter people's pain with them mm -hmm. whether it's past pain or current pain and kind of undo the aloneness that they feel there, mm. that the pain itself is healed and the brain is, you know, able to rewire itself because they're experiencing and able to absorb the pain with you. Mm. Um, so they're no longer alone in those places anymore. And so I definitely take, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but um, I'm clinically trained in accelerated experiential psychodynamic therapy. Never and heard so, of that. This is what's up. Well, tell me yeah, about that. Yeah, so ADP is, uh, I guess you can, what you could call it, for short, um, but it basically enters the right brain and it takes the effective experiences and works with them. 
as the primary emotions. And then it recruits the left brain organization of the emotional experience. Um, and then you alternate between the right and left brain. Oh. Like rewire uh, the system using the attachment relationship. Um, so that's kind of like probably the nerdy side of that. But yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> it works neurobiologically, but um, but yeah, I just I'm super passionate about that, and I I just believe that that's how God designed us to do things in relationships. So it feels very congruent with like who I am as a disciple. So. I like that you mentioned the idea of integration. Uh, I tell people typically when they come in for trauma treatment or if it's ministry that, you know, trauma gets you to live in one part of your brain versus the other. So you get stuck in the part of your brain that thinks, but you can't feel, or you can feel, but you can't think. Yep. People get stuck there. Yes. And that's so that right, left brain piece. Yes. And uh -huh. so in, I use EMDR. We typically, we use bilateral stimulation, which helps that click essentially it simulates what happens when your eyes you know when you're going to sleep and your eyes are pinging back and forth but there's many modalities that are starting to find that we need integration we need the both end of the left and the right and we have to create that handshake responsibly because for people who've had a lot of dissociation or trauma when you connect that it can kind of create more dissociation or kind of like electrocute them so it's like a resourcing that builds them to the point of processing but yeah i mean like Again, there's all neurofeedback and neuro, I mean, there's all kinds of new stuff coming out that is all trying to help people to do healthy ritual. And I, I think, so let me go theoretical for a moment. I think that as therapists, for those listening, we kind of are ritual cons consultants. We yeah. help people to have a ritual they can't have on their own. And I think a lot of therapy is a helping people to have healthy ritual and mm -hmm. really helps them to have that process. Anyway, so I love where you're, you're going and and can I just ask for a moment like in terms of trauma and all of that would you say that treating it clinically has also said oh in a ministerial sense we need to also be thinking about this in ministry as well mm -hmm. is that is that fair absolutely okay yeah. yeah absolutely I mean if you think about if you think about the context of attachment and like the power of attachment relationships I mean who's the safest attachment figure mm. God you know, and I really believe the body of believers, like us as disciples, like I think we're supposed to be those safe attachment places for one another, you know, and I think when we're acting outside of God's design, we're not really good at that with one another. We're not safe, we're not secure, we're not, uh, you know, we're not in, in a good place spiritually. Um, we're not in that place to be that for one another. And so I think it definitely informs like how I think about ministry in general because I, I just believe therapy is working because it's what the Bible originally was supposed to do. Like it was designed to happen in the context of relationship with God and with others. Mm -hmm. And so if we can go to those dark places together, mm. I think that's, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use therapy. We shouldn't go to therapy, but yeah. I'm just saying that I think it makes me really passionate to like make those things a lot deeper than just the surface uh, of what we mm -hmm. see in some of our relationships, maybe in the kingdom. Um, so yeah. Well, Janice, I want to ask you a question before I do, I, I want to kind of just say for a moment, and I've, I've shared this with people that there's a pendulum effect that has occurred wherein um, I think that people at times have overutilized counseling when especially they don't have good discipling relationships. And part of that, I think, is people have gone to counseling because of the training that counselors possess that if you are maturing in your ability to draw people's hearts out and you're growing in your ability to disciple people 
that you will start to embody a lot of those characteristics that we see yeah. in counselors. It's not just the elders and the people who've been around for 30 years. And oh, by the way, if you've been around for 30 years, it doesn't mean you have those skills. <laughs> right. So in terms of helping people not pendulum over to where we've replaced discipling with counseling, I find that it's very important as a counselor and as a disciple to let people know where its place is, that this is counseling, this is discipling, and there is no replacement going on. However, if we don't get counseling, we can overwhelm the resources of our discipling relationships. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that to be, and you guys are perfect to talk about in terms of when that, ha- you know, how you coach mm-hmm. people with that. But anyway, Janice, I just, what is your thought about now thinking about trauma and now you're, I mean, you're leading a church brother. Like this is a huge occupation. Like what's that merge look like for you? Sure. I think, gosh, even just the whole field of, of therapy and counseling, just seeing my wife go through it. And, um, there's so many similarities just because, I mean, gosh, so many of our issues with God, the sin we struggle with, the, the, the character traits that uh, are not of God that we can wrestle with, uh, a lot of those things come back to trauma and, and grief that has not been dealt with. Um, uh, yeah, just a grief that's not been addressed, period. And so I see a huge correlation there. Um, and so it's been good for me, honestly. I've been... I'm grateful that my wife has been trained because obviously for me, I get the, the, the benefit. I get to be the beneficiary of that. And so does the church here in Columbia. Um, I got to go recently get a training, you know, go through uh, emotionally focused therapy training myself for um, us. And, and one of our couples here, we did like a weekend intensive uh, training over Zoom for that. Um, and so you see just a ton of relational roadblocks um in discipling that happened because there's just a ton of trauma that has not been talked through mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. stuff that just hasn't even really been explored and, and so from a counseling perspective i do think i've learned a lot just learning how to listen and these are you know I, it's it's maybe we label it as something in the counseling world but when i think of proverbs 20 you know just you know a man is deep waters and we got to draw people out that's I mean, that's, that's about as biblical as it gets. So whether that's in the counseling field or a ministerial sense, that's just good friendship. Um, mm. And so I feel like it's, it's helped me be more passionate about me, really equipping every disciple to be a great discipling partner, that we're all in this together, that we need to be great listeners, but also we know how to communicate, um, you know, tough topics and, and be honest, but also clear. But after building up that relationship to a point where, man, I, hopefully, everything you know both sides feel safe and disclosing the truth about maybe what one person sees about the other and there's you know in their spiritual life and so uh, i see a huge correlation lots of overlap and um i feel grateful honestly that i've been exposed more to to that world because it's helped me see that biblical truth is biblical truth right of what context it is being practiced in yeah, and I think it's it's interesting because I, I think a lot of disciples hit roadblocks sometimes in their sin. Like they are just like struggling with the same thing over and over. And they're yeah. like, yeah. you know, they're going to God, they're praying, they're reading. They're like, why am I still struggling with this? And so I think it's interesting because I think at that point, whether it's in marriage or if it's individually, like you hit a crossroads there of like, okay, is this a deeper issue? And would somebody who's clinically trained be able to help me to deal with this more effectively, more quickly? 
outside of my discipling relationship. Mm -hmm. So it's like supplementary to discipling. Right. It doesn't replace discipling. Right. Uh, and I think that's the important thing is that it's not, it's not replacing, it's mm -hmm. supplementing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think in those cases, it's encouraging. And I think awesome that we get to have this resource that can help people in a hopefully an accelerated way to work through the deeper things in their hearts so that they can, mm -hmm. you know, overcome whatever it is that they're feeling stuck with. Um, so I think those, that's where I'm finding a lot of uh, crossroads there of like, you know, not making it supplementary right. or not making it replacement. And then also like when people are hitting a wall. I think in terms of what I'm noticing, as far as what fills my inbox, the comments that I get and, and just is becoming very consistent. And part of it's the video I just did with Dave Pachta about why so few mm -hmm. Christians come back to the church is that there is this, sentiment that the church is not a place that will help you to heal it's a place that mm -hmm. will help you to feel guilty or you like if you're a minister sure like i feel like i'm someone who you know i we as a counselor you kind of see the difference between a stubborn heart and a stubborn wound like we all have stubborn hearts mm -hmm. but sometimes sure. it's a stubborn wound mm -hmm. and unless your ears are trained you'll listen but you won't hear or yeah. you'll look, but you won't see. And I think mm -hmm. Janice, you just are a great example of onboarding new information so that you can minister better. I mean, you, EFT, Susan Johnson, like that stuff's amazing and expensive and advanced. <laughs> and, but to, I mean, to have a minister who's saying, I wanna go and I wanna learn EFT, that in terms of learning curve is just, it's so helpful. And um, I think in terms of just overall trauma, you were mentioning, Melissa, about how why we get in these ruts where we keep doing the same thing you know trauma is doesn't play fair trauma doesn't play fair at all it gets things to go together that shouldn't go together and things that should go together don't go together yeah and so now people need help finding the things that should go together you know repair mm -hmm. and I, I talk about this sometimes repair is not about getting the same two things to go back together it's about finding the right two things yeah. that it should have gone together in the first place so you get people who like good. and you you're in sex therapy so you do this more than i do but people have a lot of shame with sex mm -hmm. well we have in, in a touchstone experience that has created that connection but that should have never been but we need some assistance yeah. with fighting the finding the right pair of how to get that and that that's hard work mm -hmm. someone who's trained need someone who knows what they're doing ethically and sometimes it's too much for a small group leader or a ministry leader to try to do and it's unfair to actually expect people to do that i think sometimes so no i agree with you kyle that's really good well and i think that conversation we're having about the left and right brain you know i think oftentimes as disciples we're trying to talk to that left part of our brain we're trying to yes. say, repent like you know like get it together <laughs> like okay just think about this scripture over and over and over and over and there's this mm. other part of our brain that has this different experience that knows a different truth and that left side can't mm. communicate with the right side oh. it doesn't listen to the, the you know sorry it doesn't that right side doesn't communicate with the left and so I think that's where it's like the right side is the emotional part of us that has this stored information. And, and I think sometimes disciples, we just don't know how to be yeah. with emotion, right? Lean into it, to feel it so that then we could go back to the left brain and have that matching experience. Um, and so I think that's where we get stuck is like we stay in that left brain place and there isn't a whole lot of training about how to deal with the right brain. I don't think that's because people don't care. I just think we don't know how you know? 
Um, and so I think that's where counseling comes in. Now, let me ask you guys about the next generation, because we're all trying, like Christianity is supposed to continue. <laughs> so, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we want the next, we want to reach the next generation for Christ. And yet we're, we're noticing that our approach, I mean, look at 2020, right? We, we know that what we do has to adapt. I mean, there's a reason why the New Testament is written in Greek versus Aramaic. One's yeah. a highway, one's a dirt road. I mean, it just what what's really going to work to adapt to the, the the age that we're called to. So when we look at the next generation, there's different things like kids aren't, you know, they're not staying in the church. There's all these different things that, you know, people will tell you and so forth like that. First of all, what has been you guys' experience in trying to reach the next generation? And what advice do you give for people who are trying to make better connections with the generation that's coming? Man, yeah, that's a... Uh... Million dollar question, as they say. Um, I know for us, you know, we're we're working with campus ministry right now, and um, we've got some some awesome young leaders uh, in our college, you know, amongst our college students. And I think for for me personally, I still think about just Jesus' method of really being an authentic role model to men who were not that much younger than him. You know, they say you know Jesus was in his thirties and. You know the the disciples were in their early 20s and so i find myself a little bit in that in that position right now and so what i've tried to to just do is just try to emulate jesus the best i can and and just be a real living breathing also uh full of flawed uh, big brother that i can be <laughs> to the guys in, in my life um because those are the guys that are going to take it higher the guys that are in their 20 you know early 20s right now um, that's what I saw, you know, when I was in my early 20s, where, where, where guys who were not that much older than me and poured into me, but also I saw the, the ways that they struggled and the things that they internally fought. And so um, when I think of this generation, especially, I think of, I, I see a group that, you know, just from my perspective, really is longing for authenticity and something that is genuine and, and isn't just a screen isn't something that is just, hey, you know, this is something prepackaged. You know, our, our students talk a lot about, you know, gosh, TikTok and, and Snapchat and, and um, you know, so much of that does feel like there's this, there's this longing for something um, that is more real than that. And so I feel like for us or for me, especially with the guys, younger guys in my life, I've just really tried to, you know, be close to them, you know, be extremely close and how I work with them, be, you know, our friendship has we try to really be tight and do and be family together, you know, n nothing that's too super foreign to um, maybe the way we've done discipleship in the past. And um, my hope is that those guys will just learn to be authentic themselves. And, um, and hopefully the base of that friendship for their, for the people that they're helping out and their generation kind of multiply over time. So that's, that's kind of how I've looked at it is, man, it is, it seems dire, you know, it, it certainly does, but, uh, I'm just grateful that Jesus' method, you know, over the years has kind of kept things going and, and uh, hoping that obviously in our, with us now being our 30s, that we can impact more people in their 20s and they can take it and spread it um, in a way that we never did, uh, at least in our group. So, but I want to share. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's this gen next generation. I mean, they're inundated with the internet and mm -hmm. with Instagram and TikTok. And so I feel for them, gosh, like they're surrounded, not just at school, but at home uh, with all of this, the world really coming at them. And I think the 
the culture that we live in right now is super influential uh, for this generation. It always has been, but it feels like with, you know, the age of technology, it has gotten more challenging. Um, and so I think something that's been important for me to consider with this next generation is, is just to really be a good listener. I think uh, it's important to help them to feel like they are heard and that they have something important to say. Um, I think the internet kind of uh, is not a good place for that. <laughs> like it's not a good place to be heard on the internet. We don't we don't really get heard on the internet. We were looking for that feeling, right, of connection in the internet. It's not working. And so I think uh, it's important for them to feel heard, to feel known. And also I think for them to see the scriptures, like to apply scripture to what they're saying. I think, you know, I could come back at them with my own opinion. I don't think that's very helpful. <laughs> you know, I think it's helpful to like point them back to like how Jesus is relevant to what they're thinking about, what they're thinking, what they're struggling with, uh, what people are talking about. Like Jesus is still relevant. Like he's, you know, it's not lost on this because he's not on TikTok. Um, you know? <laughs> so, uh, I think it's important to like help Jesus to be real to them, you know, and yeah and to inspire them to follow him because he is the way, you know, like not this or that or this, not political thing that's not this, uh, you know, social movement that's gonna change them, it's gonna be Jesus. And so, um, but I think it's important for them to feel heard, feel known. So on that note, in terms of all these different sources of information vying for our attention and commitment, how important would you guys say that teaching is? to the next generation and even in the churches. Sure. Yeah, I mean, teaching, I think, from uh, really knowing the Bible and the context of things, uh, I, I think it's crucial, you know, that these guys know as best they can, like, you know, what what the background is, what the context is of, of whatever text it is that they're trying to live out, but also trying to, you know, challenge or call somebody to, to base their life around as well. So, uh, you know, that's something that um, I'm grateful that I think we're, we're trying to, as a fellowship, I think, lean into a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, I think, especially for these guys, man, because there, there is a ton of information out there. You know, information is so easily accessible now. Um, but I think if these guys really develop a strong biblical base and really know, like, hey, this is, um, and, and the cool thing is, like, we, we we still have ministry training programs in the summer and in mm -hmm. the fall and different regions in our churches have those times of deep teaching, but they want it. Like even now, every young generation, I think does want to be fed and they, they want, they want the meat. Right. And um, they do want to learn and they, do, and then they want to learn how to make it practical and applicable and, and something that they can really like live out. So I think that gives me a lot of hope, you know, mm -hmm. that, that man, like no matter how much, um, our devices want to suck maybe the depth out of us. Um, it, it just feels like, you know, you just, we had COVID this past year, so we didn't have our ministry training here in the Heartland region, but even in 2019, like the, the, the students, they, they, they hunger to be taught. They want to learn proper exegesis, you know, about revelation and, um, their minds were blown when, you know, Dr. Bill Molden taught about, oh, this, this is actually what revelation 13 means when, this is lukewarm. You, you think it's this, but it's actually that. And, and you know, the young generation wants to hear that stuff. They want to like, they want to learn like specifically, I think, how to make the Bible real for themselves and others. So, um, so that, that, that's what I would say about that. Yeah, I just think there's a lot of uh, 
just a lot of opinions out there. So they need the, they need teaching, they need truth to ground them. Yeah. Totally. They have not, no anchor if there's no like direction I don't mm-hmm. think in the, from the Bible about things that yeah. are confusing for them, you know? Yeah. 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 I definitely think it's important. And I, I'm definitely someone who I like the balance. Like I definitely think that pendulum, right. That's what I'm noticing in everything. We want to be careful to our generation moving forward to make sure we don't create a pendulum that the next generation is going to swing. Cause I definitely see us like when you look at, I think of Chicago, they had seen that at five and 20 years is typically when you see people exit. And I think at mm. five years, there's just a lack of conviction. And at 20 yeah. years, there's a lack of depth and yeah. people need depth the longer they go. And people That's are good. hungry. People do want to be fed. And on the other end of the spectrum is that we become overly scholarly, which I Mm. promise that if we do that pendulum, which would not be a good idea, the next generation will come back and probably very much swing back over to where the opposite is. And that's what we continue to see. The Reformation is, I mean, so it goes on and on. These these pendulums just continue. No scholarship. Now we're overly scholarly and so forth. And that's part part of what trauma does is it gets... It, trauma doesn't allow two things to be true at the same time, right? Yeah. Trauma doesn't allow the both and. and that's um, so true. I think that's that's so that's, that's part of what my concern is. Is okay. Let's realize what the 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 pendulum is, and I think there's maturity. I think maturity is about paradox. Yeah. I had someone recently say that, and I think that's yeah. very true. That's really, that's really good. That's really good. <laughs> when you think about like, yeah, Jesus did ministry in the context of relationship and teaching. It was both. It wasn't either or. <laughs> it wasn't like you know. It was all in the context of relationship. So, yeah, yeah I think we're in a weird place if we're just teaching and we're not going to deep places together. Oh, yeah. Well, thank goodness that Jesus was uh, preaching, teaching, and healing. So that, yeah. that that's the three prong that we're really yeah. realizing the healing. Oh my goodness, is such a big part of what Jesus does through his spirit yeah. now. Yeah. Um, let me ask you guys, as we get ready to bring it for a landing, I, I, first of all, I could go on and on and on with you guys, because as younger generation folks like us, we, we just have so many issues that we're <laughs> inundated mm-hmm. by and that we could connect on. Um, what upcoming announcements do you guys want to share that's going on in the Columbia Church of Christ, that's going on wherever you're at in terms of ministry? Hmm. So I think for us, I think, gosh, you know, the thing that excites, you know, this is, this is probably going to sound pretty general or basic, but I mean, I'm excited for 2022, you know, people going back to Orlando and, and that big conference there. So that's not an announcement I think most people would be surprised by. But I do think that's that's crucial, you know, for, you know, young generation, old generation to make the sacrifice to, to get to Orlando, um, in light of everything we've just gone through, uh, as a fellowship and, and fighting to stay unified, fighting to stay connected on a global scale. Um, yeah, I, I can just, I can just sense that Satan is trying to divide, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the, the kingdom in one sense. And so, and, um, I just think, gosh, we've got to do everything we can to get as many folks as possible um to get to orlando so that's something i'm personally looking forward to just because yeah. i think it's going to be a ton of fun seeing everyone but even on just a deeper spiritual level just the conviction of man like we're we're a worldwide family and i i want to see my brothers and sisters in person who i made it's probably been years in some cases or maybe never and i don't know when next time i'm going to see some of these guys will be again so I think for me, that's the first thing that comes up as far as announcements for, for next year, as far as for us here locally. I mean, 
we're just going to try to, you know, the semester's coming up. And so I'm sure every campus ministry is, is, is getting ready for that. Every college town. Um, so I would just ask for prayers, you know, yeah. for, for us, you know, and for all the campus ministries in, in, in the United States to kind of, you know, this is the first year that I think a lot of, a lot of campus ministers are calling this kind of normal, normal, a normal semester or, or you know, the closest thing we've had to normal in a long time. And, uh, we missed out a whole year, I think, on, you know, the harvest in one sense, uh, although it was fruitful, you know, even though we had Zoom church in a lot of areas, it seemed like there was a lot of conversion still, but um, I do think this is a crucial year as well as far as helping bridge the gap of, um, you know, just every generation being um, covered and, and, and every generation being preached to. So I would just say, ask, you know, just yeah, ask for prayers as we kind of get back to um, a little more normal campus ministry, I would say. I have a little announcement. I was thinking about the, yeah. the heartland. We are in the process oh, yeah. of strengthening two churches that had been previously planted yes. in the heartland. Yes. And yes. we are also hopefully praying about planting Lincoln, Nebraska church. And for those yes. of you guys who are listening that may not know a whole lot about the heartland region, we have the least amount of disciples per population, I think it is. So for every one disciple, there's a certain amount of people, right? And so that, that ratio is smaller in the heartland. Um, and anyway, so I'm just putting it out there. If anybody has it on their heart to uh, yeah. come out to the heartlands, right? Come on, support, um, the, uh, the, the encouragement of these churches, um, the spirit leads you. You get to hang out with Kyle Spears. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. no, 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 no. We, got, we got a lot of people I want people to be closer to. Amen. No, I, I, Amen. I appreciate you sharing that. And first of all, I just appreciate you guys' wisdom. I've not had anybody talk about Orlando just yet. So thank you so much for that great plug. We all need to be thinking about. And then, yes, the other thing is, is being missional in our mindset and really thinking through, like, I mean, a church of 300 started out as a church of like three. Yes, and yeah. so that's so yeah. important that we have that on our, our minds and our hearts as far as planting and so forth. I appreciate you guys bringing, you guys are church builders. Amen. That's what church builders say. I love it. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, I appreciate you guys today. I'm going to share with the same thing I share with all my guests that we are with you and God is for you, my brother and sister. Amen. I appreciate you guys coming today. Amen. Love you, Kyle. Appreciate you, bro. Well, if you've been listening all the way through this entire deal, I thank you so much. I appreciate you hanging in with us. I appreciate some of you who listen to these. I, I can't imagine, but some of you listen to the same episode five times over and over and over. And you, I'm sure you find little things and so forth. And you know this better than I do probably at this point. I thank you so much for helping to grow what I feel like in this moment is God's ministry that I myself have been invited into. And so I'm grateful. I'll see you next time.